And a very warm welcome to God Botherers with me, Rob Bethel, the layman. And me, the Reverend Martin Little. This is a podcast for those of you who are a little bit curious about this thing called Christianity. What do Christians believe? What do Christians do? And most importantly, to be a Christian, do I have to believe in a bearded sky god? No, no you don't. So join us as we openly explore Christian ideas about life whilst hopefully having a laugh along the way. Hello Martin. Hello Rob. And a happy, happy new-, new year. Yes, you beat me to it. Happy <laughs> new year. Um how was your Christmas? It seems ages ago now, but it does. It? All all the decorations are down. Baby Jesus has been put away. It's a bit sad. Everything looks a bit bare, but no, we had a good Christmas. It was parish stuff was great. We had lots of lovely services and events with loads of people at them um and by the time i got to midday on christmas day I had a nice bit of family time did you get any exciting presents what was um, your most exciting present um i mean as as like many people as you get older you you get slightly less every year but um but hannah got me i can show you actually um i actually asked for this it's a little a little sculpture of a church mouse <laughs> who's standing at a pulpit reading the Bible, and uh, he's got his little tail. He's super cute, and he's just a really cute little guy, and he reminds me of what I'm here for, which is to say encouraging things about God. Well, be, do you see yourself as a mouse? Uh, <laughs> yes, Rob, I do. Um no, it's just, you know, a church mouse. It's, you know, it's a sort of trope, isn't it? You know, like the church mouse, um, poor as a church mouse or whatever. Um, it's just somebody made them to look like mice. But it's the fact that he's standing in front at the lectern more, like giving his little talk. And it's quite yeah. quaint and, and quite sweet. So just, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, within all these yeah. stuff, you had to do like risk assessments and safeguarding training and stuff like that, which is being a modern vicar. Um, yeah. It reminds me of you know the sort of heart of it, which is about sharing the good news of Jesus. It's so, a lovely looking thing. Very it's sweet. Really, a really lovely carved um, thing. We get a photo on um, our Facebook page. Yes, for people to see. It's a lovely thing. I'm not going to put a photo up of the thing I got because it's it's not a beautiful thing. Is it rude? I got, I got a 1990s joystick. <laughs> <laughs> like from a from a Nintendo or something. No, it's for PC. This is okay. really boring. But I like um uh flight sim games. I like flying around in a Spitfire. <laughs> <laughs> so, I got this special joystick. Uh, nice. That's really cool, and you can feel turbulence through it and everything. Wow! So, I I always like to have a toy for Christmas, so I can sort of play around with it for <laughs> for my time off. So that was good fun. <laughs> so you spent Christmas sitting at your computer grasping your joystick? Yeah, I am. <laughs> <laughs> Don't put that in, Rob. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist it. Um... <laughs> So that's Christmas done, Martin, isn't it? Yeah. Game so over. the Christmas puddings have been eaten. Yeah, the goose has been slaughtered. The go- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> whatever brutal. it is that you do. Yeah, the ho- the hollies on the bonfire or whatever. 
No, no. It's it's an interesting one, isn't it? Seasonal time, you know. I've been thinking a lot about this as we've stripped about all the decorations in church and everything, you know, the the, the need to have both ordinary time and sort of festive time and and sort of penitential time, you know, time when you're doing a lot of self-examination and that kind of thing. And then times when you're just, you know, plodding along and then those wonderful seasons when it's a real festival. You sort of need those different seasons, I think, to mm. reflect the whole of life. But but it's always a sad thing. I, I always remember, um, I can't remember if I said this before, but I used to work for the Royal Bank of Scotland. And uh, at the start of December, my my line manager would go around and put a bit of tinsel on top of everyone's monitor. You know, these old big fat CRT yeah. monitors. She'd put the bit of tinsel on it. And then, um, and then come like, you know, the 2nd of January or whenever we were back in work, she'd just go around and unceremoniously pluck all the tinsel from the monitors. And it was like, right, that's it. Fun's over. <laughs> back to work. <laughs> and it just always felt so sad. But, but you know, it's it's... We need those times of light and shade, I think. Otherwise, life gets a bit dull. Yeah. So so many people now suffer from what has become known as the January blues. Mm. And yeah. I may be wrong here, but I think that's a relatively new term. And my bet is that that term has increased in usage as belief in Christianity and church going has declined. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, interestingly, well, you know the um, you know the thing about Blue Monday. Yes. So there's a, there's a day in January which is supposed to be Blue Monday, which is I think it's the I can't remember how they figure it out, but it's the it's the day before. It's the day when you've got the least in your bank account, right? So you've right, you've, right. you know you've you've got the you've, you haven't been paid yet in January, but you've just had all the Christmas bills to pay and that you know, and and there's nothing happening. It's a dull time of year. It's supposed to be the, the it's supposed to be the most depressing day of the year and mm. and and i'd heard that banded about quite a while uh quite for quite a while and then um and then i read somewhere that actually was just made up by some marketing company who who <laughs> who, who wanted to um now there's no actual empirical evidence for blue monday it's just somebody made it up because they thought well we can use this to sell something on that day you know something to cheer you up um yeah or th- this is the day to well, take out new home insurance or something like that you know and, yeah, yeah and then so it's quite cynical but that almost made me think well yeah but that sort of it's sort of the exception that proves the rule a bit isn't it because it's even more depressing than you thought even your depression yeah. is just a sort of commodified thing that somebody wants to make money yeah, out of yeah, you know? yeah but yeah. anyway i, I mean yeah. uh, to me there's sort of something in it you know it, this this time of year is dark it's cold um, oh yeah. You know, there's not much to look forward to in the in the short term. Um and yeah, you know, most people are just hunkering down, I think. So once all the Christmas busyness and fun has gone, mm. sort of what are we left with? You were talking about Blue Monday being mm. commodified. Um uh, literally it was like three days, I think, after Christmas. We went to co-op to get some milk or something, <laughs> and they had Easter eggs. They were, they were stocking yeah, Easter eggs, yeah, yeah. And it was, it was almost like, like Christmas is over now. So what's the next thing? I need yeah. the next thing to fill this hole. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, and I went into Sainsbury's only yesterday, and they was had hot cross buns. 
Yeah. They they probably had Easter eggs somewhere as well. I wasn't looking, but I was like, hot cross buns. They had a whole section of hot cross buns. Yeah. Um. So it's like it never ends, isn't it? And after Easter, I guess you go on your holidays in summer, and then you're thinking about Halloween. And then... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the shop the shops reflect, I suppose, what they want to reflect, but they also drive the culture, don't they? But yeah, I mean, and in some ways, it's a sort of it's a sort of pale imitation of that seasonal time. But it's just all the problem with it is it's just the peaks and not the troughs. So to go mm. straight from Christmas to Easter or to Easter Sunday even without, you know, the the slog of January, February and of Lent and of, of all that. Um, yeah, it is. It is a bit unreal, isn't it? You know, it's like they can't. They, yeah, they, they have to jump straight to the next festival, whereas really life mm. is much more about plodding through January and February, you know. So, yeah, I, so I was wondering if these things are a bit like um, the difference with, between having a full meal or a sweet or a snack <laughs> or something. So, mm. like, I guess we're offered, you know, wow, an Easter egg. That's a sweet. Mm. So you... you but it's not. It's never going to fill you up, is it? You're going to need the next thing. Mm, mm. Um, so I, I, I guess my first question to you, Martin, is: Can Christianity offer something more substantial and sustaining for mm. us to keep us um, on an even keel between these festivals? It's a really interesting question. I think um, you know. Because in some ways, as we've just said, that the festivals come from the Christian year to some extent, yeah, and they also come from the sort of the, you know the old the old festivals that you know that existed before Christianity. So there they would have been a midwinter solstice and and that kind of thing, you know. So that so they they do reflect something of the Christian heritage, but but yes, in and of themselves, they they aren't they aren't nourishing on their own. So, I mean, obviously, you'd expect me to say, yes, Christianity does nourish us through the sort of normal time. But, I mean, I, I instantly, to use your analogy, I am instantly drawn to think of um, Jesus' words in the Lord's Prayer, where he says, give us this day our daily bread. And, mm. you know, it doesn't, it, it doesn't sort of say, give us this day our daily chocolate or our mm. seasonal chocolate. You know, it, <laughs> he sort of takes those things for granted. But really, that prayer is a, is a prayer for the everyday, you know, that actually what mm. we need is something that really sustains us. It doesn't just give us a sugar rush. Mm. Um, it really sustains us through, you know, the good times of life and the really, really tough times of life and actually the boring times of life when not much is happening. And, you know, you maybe feel a bit aimless. You're not quite sure where things are. Um, those times can be can be just as unsettling, I think. So... For me, if, if the Christian faith is going to work, it has to work in all those different times. Um, it has to really be, um, uh, yeah, it, <clears throat> it, ha it has to work all the way up and all the way down and everything in the middle, mm, you know. Mm. Um, so, yes, I, I think so. So it, it means then that, so, so what, is, what does a Christianity look like that feeds us and sustains us? That's the question. 
So all those mm. people that, you know, and I, I don't blame people for just coming to church at Christmas and Easter or even mm. just at Christmas. I don't blame them at all. I'm, I'm, no. I'm glad they do. And I'm glad that they find something transcendent. But there's a difference between that and those who turn up on, you know, January the 14th. <laughs> um, mm. So who, those were there this morning on a cold day. They probably didn't feel like coming, but, but they, there was something in that rhythm of prayer and that rhythm of worship that that they find sustaining, so they they keep coming, and I think that's that's what we hope um, more people would discover. Really, is that we really are there every every week of the year, every day of the year, just as God is with us, you know, every every step of the way. Um, mm, mm. Whether whether we feel it or not, whether we you know whether we experience that transcendent high or not. We trust that God is with us, you know, um, mm. relationally with us. Mm. I mean, if I can go a bit deeper with this. So I worked in mental health mm. for like 13 years. And when people came to us, I felt like all we could offer really was a sticking plaster. Yeah. Um, so often our interventions were temporary and mm -hmm. we would see the same people coming back for treatment. Now, I'm mainly speaking of those who had depression and or anxiety here. Schizophrenia and bipolar seem to be more about brain chemistry, but psychosocial okay. environmental reasons also seem to play a part at an earlier age. So what I say here could also relate to younger people genetically risk of schizophrenia or bipolar but um so i i mean i worked with people one-to-one -one in a sort of counseling fashion and a care coordinator role so mm -hmm. i got to know these people pretty well um over you know many years and it just over time because at the time i wasn't a christian mm. and i wasn't going to church um, and I actually, you know, that was the time I was, I read Richard Dawkins and mm -hmm. I was thinking very sort of in my rational scientific world, not, I now know that you can have both, but yeah, yeah um, I get it, yeah. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, so I came to believe that they were after something more substantial and lasting mm. and I also realized that within myself too, mm. which kind of led me on the path I'm, I'm on today. Mm. Um, the existential questions were always there. They were always sort of, even if we didn't talk about them, they mm. were sort of, if you really got down to the base layer yeah. of yeah, yeah, anxieties, yeah. the existential anxieties were there. Yeah. So who, who, who am I? What's the purpose you yeah. know, who cares about me? Is, is my life going anywhere? What, what, yeah. You know, yeah, all that. How do you make yeah. sense of death and suffering? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, kind of the, the foundational stuff. So mm. I couldn't do much about that because I didn't have any answers. And, uh, and the no. mental no. health system isn't set up to, to work on those questions. It, yeah. You know, um, so I... I for my personal experience, I found I have found going to church really beneficial for my mental health mm. and 
my well-being. Mm. Um, and a disclaimer here, I am not suggesting to anyone that you stop your mental health medication or stop mm. seeing a counsellor or your care coordinator. Yeah. All these things can help people to stay well. Mm. And uh, it's it's not like you're going to go to church and some miracle's going to happen and you're going to be well. It's not like that at all. Mm. So suicide mm. in this country is just going up and up and up. I believe yeah. it's the biggest killer of young men Gosh. in this country. Um, and i got to think, as church-going declines, as belief declines, why are suicide rates going up, mental mm. illness going up? Mm. Is that just a coincidence? I'm not sure. Yeah. I, I just... I think they're connected. My question is, how can Christianity help with anxiety? People who are mm. um, feeling existential dread. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really fascinating to hear your experience, Rob. For somebody who worked in that sector for so long, um, so knows it well, but all, but found that that so there was something missing. I mean. I, from my own experience, I would I would echo what you said, but I've almost come at it from the other way around. So having been a Christian for a long time and, and it been profoundly helpful to me, I've also had times, well, a particular time in my life when I needed to go and get some therapy. And mm. it wasn't that my Christian faith couldn't cut it. Um, no. It was actually through the church that I got the therapy that I needed, right? But, mm. but I, I needed to deal with some stuff that, you know, I've, I think there was a degree of healing came through. It was certainly a fascinating journey for me. Um, so, so yeah, just I mean, I would absolutely reiterate what you said that that the mm. two things go hand in hand. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, my own experience. I'm not saying this is the way it's for everyone, but my own experience is that it's my faith that's the bedrock. It's my spirituality that's the bedrock of everything, and that's what really goes to that deep place and answers those existential questions. And yet there are times when a specific intervention, a therapeutic intervention, can mm. help me to just get over a particular bump in the road, I think. That's what mm, I would say. Mm, mm. Um, so for me, both both things are instruments of God, if you like, or ways, channels that God can work. Because for mm. me, the, the therapy that I had, I haven't really shared very much about it, it publicly, but the um, it, it, for, it was a profoundly spiritual experience for me. Mm. Um, akin to some of the more powerful um, sort of slightly visionary experiences I've had. I think I've, mm. we've talked about it before in this podcast. Um, so I think the, 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 there's a question about how does the mind and the spirit, how do the mind and spirit relate to each other? Mm. Um, so, you know, and, and what's the relationship between the mind, the spirit and the brain uh, is a really interesting question. I you know, really don't know enough about it. I've read a little bit about it, and and I'm very interested in it. Um, but I'm I'm not going to start pontificating about it. <laughs> um, but for me, I think if you if you believe in that we're not just physical beings, that you know that our our ourselves are not contained, if you like, by our bodies. Mm. Um, but the the quality of mind, if you want to talk about mind, is something that's it's it's intimately related to the brain, but it's not reducible to the brain. Um, I I would say that, 
um, then you're not very far from being able to talk about the the spirit as well, the human spirit. And to me, just having that extra sense of an extra dimension to our humanity, actually, I find a very something that it's something that gives a great dignity to human beings. Um, the fact that we're not simply these bodies that do wear out. We're, we're more than that. We're our minds and we're our spirits. Um, and ultimately, it's, you know, it's God that sustains us spiritually. Um, that to me is a really hopeful thing because it means, you know, some people, <clears throat> some, there's the old sort of saying that, oh, if you've got your health, you're okay. And there's a degree of truth in that. You know, I'm reasonably young, reasonably healthy, but people who've lost their health and in all kinds of ways, it can be devastating. But it's also like, well, but if all you've got is your health, then once that goes, what do you do? You just despair. Yeah. And and that leads you down that path, A, of what you de- described in terms of suicide, that, you know, if if things aren't going the way that I wish they were going, well, what mm. is there to stop me from taking my life? Now, I'm not mm. suggesting for a moment that that's an easy or light decision that anybody who takes who who does take their own life. But to me, the, the sense of that you are an immortal spirit who is infinitely valued by God um, mm. and that this gift of life is a precious gift. But the, but the beautiful thing is that, that because, because the, the heart of the gospel is about the forgiveness of sins, mm. and that's, I think, what really helps people to change is knowing you're for, not only loved but forgiven, um, mm. that mm. means that, that nothing you can ever do wrong or that can ever be done wrong to you can ever rob you of of that peace because you know in your heart of hearts you know god loves you and you know that god will always love you and no matter what you do there's nothing that can make him love you any less mm. yeah i'm, I'm preaching mm. now but <laughs> but it's <laughs> a job it's a it's a beautiful truth and it does change people's lives i've seen it change people's lives and it's changed my life human beings are so much more valuable than than a materialist worldview could ever suggest and yeah so so that means that uh well that means that well i don't know it just is <laughs> to me it just it just totally reframes the whole thing so if you yeah. can achieve a degree of security in yourself of knowing that you're infinitely valued and infinitely loved by a god who made you then that's got to be good for your mental health, right? Don't you think? Oh, yeah. So, well, yeah. It, <laughs> Sorry, it that was a long, from... a long way of getting to to that yes. point. But you know what I mean. We got there. Um, <laughs> it does remind me of the first time I went to church, and um, I felt this love, and mm. I said, "God loves me." To, yeah. Uh, the person sat next to me when when we were asked. Um, and that, I mean, that just, I was in a a bad way around that time. And yeah. the, and on that day, it just flipped. It just set me on in a different direction, mm. in a more positive direction. Um, and it took a bit of time, but I'm in a much better place now. And it's mm. not to say I don't have um, lows still, but I just find... This is just personally speaking. I find them easier to deal with, and I don't. I don't think the secular world has any answers, really. 
these well it, it's interesting because it, it it has comparable practices doesn't it so you've got things like mindfulness which is actually mm. a wonderful thing mindfulness yeah yeah it's a beautiful thing i've tried that yeah, yeah. i've done that and it, it's it's very close to prayer but um and it's like you know the value of like being in a community of people with a similar interest that's good for your mental health going for a walk in the beauty of nature. You know, all these things are good for your mental health, right? Nobody would deny that. And a, and a Christian shouldn't deny that. These things aren't the enemy. These are these are great things. But um but but it's but as you say, they only go so deep. And eventually, mm. you have to get to a stage where well, if I'm sitting looking at the beauty of a hazelnut in my hand, like Julian of Norwich did, you know, she she looked at the hazelnut and she said this is all things she said, this can t- this is this is everything that's ever been made in this little in the palm of her hand but she could say that and she could have that mindful moment and move to the next level which is which is that and this means there must be a creator that there mm. must be a, a deeper purpose there must be a, a loving personality behind all these relationships that i find helpful and supportive there the deepest reality is that God is love and that he mm. loves me. It's exactly as you intuited or as that was given to you in a moment of revelation in church. Um, you know, it's, it's the logical conclusion, I think. Um, and it, and to me, it's, I mean, we had a really interesting youth group tonight. We were talking about uh, this afternoon. We were talking with the young people about what it, what it is that helps people to change. So, mm. you know, we're talking, is change possible? Can we change our ways? You know, we're talking about new year and, you know, could you make a resolution to change? And, we were talking about how, yeah, most people's fitness regime lasts about three days, you know, and all that kind of thing. Mm. How do people change? And I was reading a passage from St. Paul where he says, if anyone is in Christ, um, he, if anyone is in Christ, there is new creation. So mm. it's like, it's like, you know, not just the person, but the whole creation, a new way of being is coming. Is, is coming. Um, and that's the, the revelation that God is love. That's what really changes people. And I think, you know, as you say, you can treat the problem with, like you said, a sticking plaster, um, mm. and all these practices can help. But if the practices aren't rooted in God, I think they will only be managing rather than mm. than what mm. we might describe as healing. You know, I don't mean I don't mean curing in a kind of magical way or or a, particularly even a medical way, but but that deep healing and wholeness that comes from knowing that you're loved and I know I keep banging on about that and I keep coming back to that but but surely the 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 I don't know I don't I don't want to say something that's not true <laughs> um because I think what is it that makes people despair and give up and give in to if you like to anxiety and depression what is it that makes people despair <clears throat> I don't really know but I imagine it's the sense of, you know, there's no way out of this for me. Everything mm. that I value is at stake, and I can't fix it. Therefore, I will despair. There's no hope. Um, and I just wonder whether is is it too trite to say that knowing you're loved is the an- antidote to that? What do you do? You think? Do you think that's too simplistic? No, I I don't think it is. I think that I think it offers so much hope because it's that it's a security, isn't it? You know that that even what the, the worst that the world can do to me, you know, there's that wonderful passage Saint Paul talks about. Um, 
um, you know, what what can separate us from the love of God? And he lists all these things, you know, famine and plague and the sword and everything. And he says, in the end, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Um, you know, there's there's nothing can can ever pluck us out of his hand, as that hymn says. Um, hmm. And, uh, you know, that that's good to give you a sort of secure base to work on, you know. Um, so I don't, I don't know. But, I mean, that that's not to say, you know, we have to roll back a little bit because it's not to say that, that people who are very committed Christians can't end up in despair because they're mm-hmm. mentally ill. Um, it's not to say that, that, you know, a Christian who takes their own life has stopped believing God loves them. Yeah, but, I mean, isn't it the same as saying somebody who regularly goes to the gym, um, you know, that's not to say they can't, hurt themselves or mm. hurt a muscle or or eat a pie you know, break break a leg or eat <laughs> <Yeah>. a pie <laughs> yeah i mean yeah. it's yeah that, that would just be foolish to say that mm. but may, maybe this is the thing though that the the trap we fall into so much of the time is assuming that we have the power to fix ourselves and that that's i think if the, if i was going to yeah yeah if i was going to mention anything that was was a, a real dis a disconnect or a, or a a discordant thing between secular i guess mental health speak and the christian faith is the idea that you have the resources within yourself you've got the potential to live your best life mm. you just have to unlock your potential through some technique which the christian faith says no nah. <laughs> you know you can't do it on your own you will fail you cannot make it um you'll you know, to yeah. use the old, very harsh language, you'll be dead in your sins. Um, you need a savior. You need someone who's more powerful, whose love is greater, who's more steadfast. You need a savior to come along and pull you up out of the dirt. And that's the only way you're going to ever change um, and ever grow to love yourself is if you is if you realize God loves you. Um, I've done that. I've done that so many times, um, mm. especially, yeah, especially before I was a Christian, I was really into sort of the Stoics and mm, yeah. um, cognitive behavioral therapy, which is really good. But the way I was using it on myself wasn't, um, you know, if if it wasn't working, I just thought I'm not doing, I'm not, not trying hard right. enough yeah, or yeah, I'm not, not doing it right. Yeah, yeah. there's something um, in the technique that's wrong or, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that day when i went to church there was a kind of surrender of like yes Ugh, i can't yes. i can't do this alone exactly and that that word surrender is 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 a very powerful word and it's also a very misunderstood word because i think a lot of people think of people you know people who have a religious conversion you will always get people who say way that's great they've you know they've found their way into the kingdom of god but there will always be people who say Oh yeah, but they've just become a doormat, or they've just become, yeah, you know, obedient to some controlling thing that's going to hurt them. And sometimes, in some toxic situations, that is what happens. But but true Christian surrender is, you know, it's it's about coming to the end of your own resources mm. and realizing that at the end of your own resources, there's not nothing; there is everything. Yeah. There's, you know, and, yeah. and, 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 
you know, that's that's the story of every, I think, genuine, you know, faith conversion story you've ever heard, you know. So St. Augustine was the classic one, you know. He said, late have I loved you. You know, he, he'd, he'd searched his whole life. He'd tried everything. And then in the end, he, he just had to give up. He had to give yeah. up trying and accept. And it was the hardest thing ever because it the ego, you know, the ego wants to be self-sufficient and in control and to know the answers and know the techniques. Um but the 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 ego will only get you so far, you know. Um, ultimately, the ego has to be overcome, um, mm. Mm. and 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 the deeper person, the true man, if you like, the true woman, um, is what lies underneath. What happens when the ego runs mm. out of steam? You know, that's yeah, that's when yeah. you discover. And so that's why Jesus says, you know, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you've got to become like a little child. You yes. Know? Um, because the child has, you know, is dependent, you know, and that, so that, that word surrender is, is, is much misunderstood, but mm. is, is key. I mean, wh- one of the, so I just flew across my mind because we were talking a bit about this with the youth group, but you know, the 12 step programs like mm. Alcoholics Anonymous use. Mm. So they, their first, the first step of, I'm going to misquote it, but the first step of Alcoholics Anonymous is admitting that you are an alcoholic admitting mm. that you have a problem and admitting that you cannot cure yourself that you yeah. can't that you have a problem yeah. that you're completely at the end of your resource you can't do anything and you need to appeal to a higher power mm. to help you and mm. that's that without making that first step you can't progress really um mm. so it's it's a very very powerful thing and it it does work <laughs> yeah but it's but it's also i think it's not what our gen- our generation does not want to hear about surrender, you know? No. We want to hear right. about self-realization and all that yeah. kind of stuff, which sounds very kind of, you know, yeah, yeah. I can, you can do it if you just get it, get the, the right I used technique. To, the right I mindset. used to wholeheartedly believe that. Mm. Um, <laughs> I'd always, as you say, come to the end of my resources um, and, uh, just beat myself up and say, "Yeah, I'm not. I'm not trying hard enough. I'm not being brave yeah. enough. I'm not wh- whatever it was." Yeah, um, and I still do that. I oh still yeah, do yeah, that. yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's a lifelong process. I just wanted to mention something really briefly because I looked at a book that I found really helpful. Yeah, yeah, and I just want to recommend it because it's one of the best books I've ever read on on just on the Christian life as as a resource. So. And as a way of life, it's called The Shape of Living, and it's by David Ford, who's a theologian, really, Cambridge theologian. Um, but it's very, very easy to read. It's very accessible. I would really recommend it to anyone who who wants to, to delve into this a bit. So he talks about, um, he starts off his book talking about life as a series of overwhelmings, which I think is a really helpful way of thinking about both life in general and also particularly mental health. So that sense of, you know, sometimes we're just overwhelmed with anxiety about our job or our children or, or our our health or whatever it might be, or we're overwhelmed by the circumstances we're in, we're overwhelmed by grief, or there's so many things in life that overwhelm us. So his book is about um, what can we, what resources does the Christian faith offer us to cope with those overwhelmings? And I think I'm right, Rob, in saying that you know, sometimes a definition of good mental health is the ability to cope. 
right. with what yeah. life throws at you. So, yeah, so if that, somebody's that mentally healthy, yeah. it's not necessarily that everything is going well. It just means they're able to cope with life's ups and downs without without sort of falling off the rails. So, so, um, so, yeah. I mean, that's all I really wanted to say was just to recommend it because he 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 just he goes through some of the different things. So he talks about worship. He talks about prayer. He talks about the Bible. He talks about um, the community of the church. Um, what, but one of the, one of the most lovely things he says, uh, he says the, the deepest secret of Christian virtue is accompaniment by Jesus Christ in our overwhelmings. Right. Yes. So I'll just read it again. So it's a good little phrase that the deepest secret of Christian virtue is the, is accompaniment by Jesus Christ in our overwhelmings. So, you know, it's not that Jesus fixes all our problems, but he's with us. He's with us mm, in, in mm, them all and mm. actually sustains us and helps us. Um, and there's a whole bunch more stuff we could say, but, but that to me is what is what it's all about. That knowing that we're accompanied and that, that Jesus is with us in, in, in in every season of our life, the peaks and the troughs, um, and you know, again, as a springboard to what we'll talk about next time, if you want to know about suffering, well, the life of Jesus, particularly the death of Jesus, has a heck of a lot to teach us. So, if 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 we're accompanied by one who knows our pains and our sufferings, then that's a pretty good one to be accompanied by. That's great. Thanks so much for that recommendation martin can i just add add one last thing rob i, I mean yeah. if anybody's if anybody's listening to this and uh and wants us to pray for them we would be i think rob i can speak for you in saying we would be really happy to do that you know in confidence or you know however yeah. you would like us to do that because you know we've talked a lot about the power of prayer in, in the last few podcasts and and um it really does make a difference to know that somebody else is praying for you, I think. So if we can pray for anyone who's listening, whether you're you know, a Christian believer or not, or wherever you are on your sort of journey, then we'd be happy to do that. And it would be an honor, actually, I think. Yeah. What should we say? Five pound a prayer? <laughs> <laughs> if you like and subscribe, we'll pray for you. No, no, no. It's not like that. We will pray for you. <laughs> no, it's completely free. Yeah, completely just, free. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. well, that's uh, a lovely offer. Yeah, good idea. Thanks, Martin. Um, right, we'll see you for the next one next time. Bless you, Rob. Bye. Okay, take care. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to God Botherers. If you would like to get in touch, please contact us at godbothererspodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on our Facebook page. Just search for God Botherers Podcast. It would help us immensely if you could rate, like, subscribe and share our podcast however you can. Martin and I tackle the mighty question of the problem of suffering. Join us next time to get some answers or not as the case may be see you next time bye